This morning we're continuing with our series looking at the question, what is church? And today we're focused on two specific verses in the first letter of Peter, which we've been looking at for a number of weeks. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter two, verses nine and ten, and we'll read those together in a moment. Uh, but within those two verses, we're focused very specifically on two words, the words chosen people. Now, this word chosen has been running like a bit of a thread through this first part of Peter's letter. We encountered it right at the beginning, in the very first verse, uh, when Jez opened the series a few weeks ago. Peter addresses those to whom he's writing as God's chosen or elect. It was there in the background last week as Lou spoke to us about Jesus being the living stone. And we read that Jesus was God's chosen one, that he was precious in God's sight. And that word chosen is applied twice to Jesus in that first part of chapter two. And then today we have the, the other bookend, as it were, uh, in chapter nine. You are a chosen people, says uh, the Apostle Peter. And, and this is really the point that Peter's been working up to through this first part of his letter. This draws together everything that he's been saying. He wants to establish in the hearts and minds of those he's writing to uh, what their true identity is as God's people. So let's look, uh, let's read those two verses uh, together and then begin to unpack them a little bit. So this is 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, I've used this translation, which is not our normal uh, New International Version translation, very uh, deliberately, because I think it brings out the underlying uh, original meaning uh, of uh, the words uh, that Peter was writing. And particularly in this phrase, chosen people, or as it says here, chosen race. This word uh, the original word here really carries uh, the, the, the idea of uh, offspring, family, race or nation. People is a, perhaps a bit vague in this context. And I think this is important for two reasons. Firstly, it conveys the idea of a group of people who are connected or related in some way. It's really not about uh, individuals. We might be tempted to think of it in an individual way. I've been chosen as we're influenced by the individualistic culture 
uh, that surrounds it. There's a tendency for us to think in terms of my salvation, my life in Christ, my future inheritance or expectation. It's perhaps illuminating to spend a moment reflecting on some of the songs that we sometimes sing. Now, of course, all these things are true. It's not that they are wrong or untrue. But Peter's making a much deeper point. They are, as it were, fringe benefits. What we are really called to be, what we are being made into, is a chosen race. And secondly, and perhaps more significantly, um, the word chosen race would have an immediate resonance in the, in, the, in, the, in the hearing of the first people that he wrote to, because he is here referring uh, almost direct quotation from Exodus chapter 19, when God has rescued his people out of Israel uh, and he chooses Israel as his own people. He makes a covenant with them uh, through Moses. And we'll see the implications of this in a few moments. But for now, let's just grasp the point that Peter is trying to make here. In effect, he is saying that God has extended this covenant with its promises and blessings that he made through Moses to the people of Israel. He has extended it. And the question is, to whom? I think there are three questions, actually, that grow out of this. That's the first one. Who? Who exactly are God's chosen people? The, the people to whom this covenant has been extended. What? What are the implications of being God's chosen people? How does that really affect us? And thirdly, why? Is there some purpose behind this? Well, as you might guess, the answer is yes. And we'll see that in a moment there. It, we are a chosen people for a specific reason, for a purpose. So let's think a little bit about this question of who exactly are these chosen people? And the clue is in the first word of, chapter, of verse 9. But you, says Peter, but you. But is a pivot word, and it means we need to look at what's gone before. Peter, a more literal translation might be you, however, contrasting with the people he's just been talking about. And if we flip back to the previous verse, to verse eight, Jesus has been described as a living stone, as a cornerstone, and also as a stumbling stone, a rock of offence. Uh, and in a sense, Peter's been setting up this contrast between two groups of people. Those who put their faith in Jesus uh, and seek to follow him. And those who, as we read in verse eight, di are disobedient to the word and essentially reject him. And Peter's saying, but you, those who believe in Jesus, in contrast to those who disobey God's word, are a chosen people. We, through faith in Christ, become God's chosen people. Or as one uh, 
biblical word study, uh, I found, uh, puts it quite helpfully, I think. We become God's choice by freely receiving faith in him. So the first question is why. The second question is what? What does it mean to be God's chosen people? In effect, we are being given a new identity. We've already thought about the reference to Exodus uh, chapter 19. Uh, and when we read that verse, and as we see here, there are three characteristics of God's chosen people. They are called a royal priesthood, a holy nation and a people for God's own possession. Again, the New International Version translates it as special possession. Uh, but really, the idea is we are God's own, own possession. We are God's. We are his. Now, under the first covenant that God established through Moses, there, were, there was a set of people who were set apart to be um, and entrusted with the privilege of being priests. First, it was the sons of Aaron, and then it was the tribe of Levi. And they alone were the ones who could perform the priestly uh, duty. Under the new covenant, through Jesus Christ, all of us now are invited to be members of this royal priesthood. All of us have been called into ministry. All of us have both the joy and the responsibility of serving Christ and each other. Now, within the first covenant, the priests had three major functions or responsibilities. And so as we read these words that we are a royal priesthood, we have now picked up uh, those three uh, functions, those three responsibilities. Firstly, we have direct access to God. We no longer require a special priest to to act as a go-between between between us and God. Jesus is our high priest, as we were learning a while back as we looked at the letter to the Hebrews, and we need none other. We have direct access to God. Secondly, God himself, in the person of Jesus and in the person of the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for us. Previously, it was the priestly tribe who made intercession for the people. They went before God pleading on behalf of the people. Now the Holy Spirit through through groanings uh, and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father make intercession for us. And thirdly, the priest would bring offerings on behalf of the people to God. But now we bring those offerings directly to God ourselves. And again, when we were looking at the book of Hebrews, the writer there reminded us that the offerings which are most acceptable to God are those of praise and service. And Peter is going to pick this up again in a moment. So a royal priesthood. Secondly, a holy nation. So just as uh, believers are a new spiritual race and a new spiritual priesthood, so they are also a new spiritual 
nation, a nation based not on ethnic identity nor geographic boundaries, but rather on allegiance to their heavenly King, Jesus Christ, who is truly King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this idea has been uh, there again from the beginning uh, of this letter. There he describes Christians as pilgrims, strangers, aliens scattered throughout the world, perhaps echoing uh, the words of Jesus that we are in this world, but not of this world. And to belong to Christ is to belong to his kingdom. And that now has a spiritual dimension in parallel to the physical dimension of the nation of Israel. Now, I'm a citizen of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, but I'm also a citizen of the kingdom of uh, heaven. Peter is reminding us that this is our true citizenship, a spiritual citizenship that transcends all geographical borders or political differences. And we are no longer strangers, exiles or foreigners. And moreover, this kingdom is eternal. So a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and thirdly, God's own possession, or perhaps special treasure as a translation of this. And here we see another Old Testament allusion. The words used uh, have a parallel in the Exodus 19 passage that we've already referred to, uh, but they also have a parallel uh, in Isaiah chapter 43. And I think this is probably more likely what Peter had in mind, given that the next phrase, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you, echoes that, that same verse in Isaiah chapter 43. And the context here is important uh, and appropriate because it's one of redemption from captivity in Babylon. God's people had been disobedient, they've been taken into captivity, but God is promising redemption with a reminder of how he'd redeemed them out of Israel. And for us, God has redeemed us, not out of Babylon, but out of darkness, out of uh, bondage, captivity to sin, to destructive habits and thought processes, to the structures of this world that might entrap, entangle and ensnare us. He brings us out of darkness, uh, not to take us back to Jerusalem, but to bring them into his marvellous light, his presence. So that describes something of the what uh, of the chosen people. And the third question was why? Well, we are chosen for a purpose. We are chosen, Peter says, so that we may proclaim the excellences of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvellous light. And that word proclaim or declare is unique in the, old, in the New Testament. It is the only place we find that particular word that Peter uses. But we do find it in the Greek translation of the Old Testament where 
it speaks of praising God. It, we encounter it in the Psalms uh, where we are encouraged uh, to reflect the heart of the psalmist in praising uh, God. The purpose, and so this is our purpose, to, de to declare, to proclaim the excellences of him is to declare that he is praiseworthy, that he is good, that he's amazing, to speak of his goodness, to praise him. And this is a purpose of our redemption. And again, too often we, we narrow down uh, that purpose by thinking of ourselves, by thinking of our own rescue. It's important. It's vitally important. But God's plan is, as always, so much bigger. And are you not encouraged when you're around other Christians who are talking of the goodness of God, telling those stories of what God has been doing, praising God, excited by God, excited by the presence of God? They have the joy of God in their hearts. This is what we are called to. Being chosen doesn't mean we are special uh, in that we are better or than others or preferred to others. Indeed, it's not really about me. It's about God. God's purpose in redeeming is not simply our own enjoyment, but so that we might glorify him. Redemption is ultimately not man-centred, but God-centred. So let's bring all this into land, as it were. And in Verse 10, uh, Peter goes on to, to, to declare that once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We have been chosen for this new identity. We've been given a new identity. We've been given a new purpose in life. We have a new citizenship in, an, in a kingdom, a nation that is eternal uh, and not bounded geographically. And Peter in verse 10 is drawing this section to a close uh, with, uh, with ideas and words that are borrowed from another Old Testament prophet, in this case Hosea. Hosea speaks of God's love. He speaks of, uh, of God's distress at the fact that his people have turned their back on him and neglected him. But it speaks of his mercy in pursuing them uh, and bringing them back to himself uh, using some very uh, vivid uh, imagery. And, and Peter is really saying here, just as you know, when Israel was rejected by when Israel rejected God, they no longer had that identity as God's chosen people. And before we became Christians or when we reject God or when we disobey God, we lose that sense of our identity in God. We come under sentence of condemnation for sin. But Peter is saying that was how you once were, but now you are the people of God. Then you did not have mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have become God's people. 
but not by any merit of your own. This is the undeserved mercy of God. You were deserving only judgment, but you have received God's mercy. All the foregoing privileges that Peter was talking about in the first chapter of this book, the belonging to God, the new identity, the purpose in life, all traced back to the undeserved favour of God. Now we have received mercy. So in summary, we are a chosen people, a family together. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation and God's own people. Once we were not a people, we did not have this collective identity, but now we are the people of God. This defines our identity, who we really are. And we gain this as we trust in Christ Jesus, as we put our faith in him and seek to obey him and follow him. And by connecting this with the covenant that God made with the people of Israel through Moses, it also places us into the big story of God's redemption and rescue. And it invites us to embrace life as a part of that. To take another picture that the Bible uses, we as Christians are grafted in to God's chosen people. If this morning you haven't already responded to God's invitation to become a part of his chosen people, then can I encourage you to do so today by simply putting your faith in Jesus and committing to follow him. Speak uh, to one of, uh, if you're in the building, speak to one of the people who are here this morning. Uh, if you're online, please get in touch with us and we'd love to speak with you some more about that. But for many of us, I guess, you know, we made that decision, perhaps recently, perhaps many years ago. And so the question becomes, in what way do our lives reflect the reality that we are therefore a part of God's royal priesthood of his holy nation? How might God want to be working in our lives today? And will we allow that so that we can fulfil even more the purpose for which we have been chosen to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light? He alone is infinitely worthy of glory and praise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your undeserved mercy. Once we were not a people, we were far from you. We were in darkness. We were captive to sin and to death. But as we turn to you, as we put our faith in Jesus, we have become your chosen people, part of your chosen race, chosen family. We have become part of a holy nation and called and given the responsibility of being a royal priesthood. We are a people of your own possession. Lord, we thank you for these things. And we ask that you would help us even now by the power of your spirit as he lives in us to proclaim 
the excellences, the praiseworthiness, the goodness, the mighty deeds, the wonderful works of our God who is working his plan of redemption throughout the world. To God be the glory for he alone is worthy. Amen.